In the morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you today? You've once again stumbled on our humble little podcast, direct from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Bemidji. I want to thank you so much for listening. Your participation in this podcast is what makes it all happen. There is much hand-wringing about the state of the church, the decline in attendance, and what we can do about it. A quick search of the internet reveals all sorts of odd strategies that people have used. And if you look at the so-called megachurches, they are impressive in numbers. So, do those strategies work? Almost without exception, they have one of two problems. One, they don't last. A flash in the pan, so to speak. Or, two, they have no substance. And there's nothing wrong with running a giant social club in good, with good morals. But perhaps it shouldn't be called the church. You may have heard his name before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He lived during the terrifying reign of the Third Reich. Far more terrifying and near than the threats that most of us in the United States face. And yet, he understood what it meant to trust God to build his church. Allow me to read a brief excerpt from his writings. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. No man builds the church but Christ alone. Whoever is minded to build the church is surely well on his way to destroying it, for he will build a temple to idols without wishing or knowing it. We must confess. He builds. We must proclaim. He builds. We must pray to him that he may build. We do not know his plan. We cannot see whether he is building or pulling down. It may be that the times which by human standards are times of collapse are for him the great times of construction. It may be that the times which from a human point of view are great times for the church are times when it is pulled down. It is a great comfort which Christ gives to his church. You confess, preach, bear witness to me, and I alone will build where it pleases me. Do not meddle in what is my province. Do what is given to you well, and you have done enough. But do it well. Pay no heed to views and opinions. Don't ask for judgments. Don't always be calculating what will happen. Don't always be on the lookout for another refuge. Church, stay at church. But church, confess, confess, confess. Christ alone is your Lord. From His grace alone can you live as you are. Christ builds. So stay in the Word. Tell others of the good news you have found in Christ. Don't despair when things look bad. There are more of us than it appears. Revelation 19 describes the marriage feast of the Lamb, Christ, and the Bride, the Church. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult, and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Our future is secure in Him who reigns forever. Our sermon for today is from Timothy Church, and Pastor Allard will meditate on a reading from Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 21. Let's listen together to this devotion titled, An Exile Faithful.
The Word of God for us this morning comes to us from our first lesson. We read just a section of that lesson. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So far the word. A bustling marketplace in the ancient city of Jerusalem, teeming with life and activity. Merchants are shouting out their wares to come stop by. You can smell the, this is the aroma of bread being baked in that marketplace. And Daniel and his friends, they're, they're of royalty. They're of the royal line. They stride through the market, their youthful faces reflecting, reflecting a sense of purpose and confidence, their whole lives ahead of them. Fast forward a few years into the future to the exile of the Jews from their homeland and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And now the majestic gates of Nebuchadnezzar's palace looms ahead in front of the captives. And the captives from a variety of nations are being led in chains. There are guards on both sides keeping a watchful eye on these new into, into these new servants, potential servants in the king's palace. And while the grandeur of the palace now envelops them and they walk through the main gates, they see everywhere activity. Servants are coming to the beck and call of the couriers and the king. We have food being prepared in all directions. We have beautiful tapestries, and Daniel's friends are looking at it with awe and intrepidation. And then the chief official, Ashpenaz, shows up. And he begins to look at Daniel and his friends, and it's kind of a little bit creepy, because he's assessing them and walking around them, and not just checking out their physical appearance, but also their demeanor and how they speak to one another. And finally, Ashpenaz speaks. And he barks out a command and says, These are chosen, the rest, no. And Daniel and his friends realize they have now been chosen. For what? For service for the king. And then the next few minutes are a blur as Ashpenaz introduces them to just what they're going to be learning. He shows them Babylonian literature and texts, their history. They start to undergo some training in the history of Babylon, studying those texts, engaging in cultural activities until... until... The food is presented from the king's own table. And you can see Daniel going, no, no. And a tense exchange happens between Ashpenaz and Daniel. And as Daniel proposes an alternative diet, finally, reluctantly, Ashpenaz agrees to what Daniel says and the official, visibly taken aback, because he's never quite had this problem before, but again, he agrees and the stage is set for a remarkable journey of faith. Today, 
we hear our theme for the sermon, which is simply this, in exile, faithfulness. And of all times and events, in the midst of exile, we see faithfulness to the government from God's people. Now, the temptation to conform, right, is what we're presented with in this lesson. The king's mandate was very clear, and the royal diet and lifestyle was for any prospective servant to the king. There was no exceptions. There never had been exceptions before. So the pressure to conform must have been immense. You might even imagine some of the fellow Jews of the nobility speaking to Daniel and saying, Daniel, what are you doing? Unless you haven't noticed, we are now in an entirely different land. We can't even understand half of what the king and his servants are saying to us. And you want to cross them. Whether or not those words took place, Daniel resolved to say no to the government. Now, I want to tread very carefully here because there's a pressure to conform. And in the midst of all this, we see Daniel being faithful in the middle of exile to his God. And yet he says no to God's servant. Daniel had a decision to make and he made it to either obey or to say no. But notice how he did it. I might reference the apostles at this moment. Peter and the apostles, right after Jesus ascended, they, they continued the ministry of Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ. And they were brought before the Sanhedrin, the governmental authorities of the Jews. And the Sanhedrin said to them, stop trying to make us guilty of Jesus' blood, his death, and stop preaching about this Jesus and healing in his name. And the apostles said, do you remember? We must obey God rather than men. Now back to Daniel. Notice how Daniel said no. Just like the apostles. Respectfully. Through respectful engagement, they resisted what the government said. Daniel stuck to his gun. Of course, Daniel did that because of a reward, right? I mean, in our lesson, what do you see? God gave wisdom and knowledge so that Daniel and his friends were ten times better than any of the other servants of the king. So therefore, Daniel, knowing that that goody was coming, he stayed faithful to God. Is that how it went down? Daniel did good because he was going to get a promotion within the government along with his closest friends? Obedience, do we do it? Because it leads to divine favor from God. Now, you might ask, why are you making this distinction, Pastor? Why does this distinction even matter? Well, if we follow God due to a perceived benefit, what does that make God into except nothing more than a lottery ticket? Oh, I'm going to pay the money and I might get something good. It's more than this. This morning, you saw laws like speed limit signs, right? Why did you follow them? Of course, nobody sped this morning, right? No, good. We got that covered, no speeding. But you think about it, why did you follow those speed limit signs? Because there's a perceived benefit. I don't want to wreck my car, and yeah, I don't want the police to pull me over either on the way to church. How about getting married? Why get married? Well, because I kind of like that gal, and I like that 
that guy so, and they make me laugh and I want to be together with them. There's a perceived benefit, right? I like them and they like me. You could keep on going with things like this. Why do I eat healthy? Because I, I want to keep my mobility. I want to, I want to stay away from the doctor if I can. Why do you listen to Jesus? Is it simply nothing more than like a lottery ticket? I do this and I get eternal life. If that's how we think of God, we've turned everything in our relationship upside down with him. No. Instead, in exile, we see Daniel trusting his God. Daniel had every excuse in the book to not listen to God. God, you exiled us from our land, and in a few more years, the temple would be burned down as well. And I'm supposed to worry about your dietary restrictions, God. How trivial the commands of God must have now seen. But in the midst of exile, Daniel remained faithful. There's another time, a minor prophet by the name of Habakkuk, at the very end of his book, we almost never read Habakkuk, but at the very end of the book, it takes place right before the Babylonians started attacking Judea, right before they started losing territory to the Babylonians. And listen to what he writes, Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk knew what Daniel knew. Even if we are in the middle of exile, it's not God. It's not God who had a problem. We Israelites, we Jews did. We have sinned. And God, my God, has been faithful so much so that he saves. He is my Savior, and he has rescued me. Jesus gave, we know, as New Testament children of God, he gave us the gift of himself. This is why we follow, simply because we know Jesus, what he did, and so we trust him. We trust him. And if wonderful good gifts come out of that trust, fine. No, we simply trust him. So did Daniel. Now, don't get me wrong. Just because, as we talked about about three weeks ago, that there's really only one promise God gives, and that's to forgive our sins. That doesn't mean he doesn't love giving gifts beyond that. He loves to give his children gifts, even now, gifts beyond the forgiveness of sins. Think of Solomon, the wisdom and riches, right? He asked for wisdom, and God said, I'll give you wisdom, Solomon, and I'll give you riches and a long life as well. Think of Isaiah, the clearest visions and prophecies of the coming Jesus who is going to save the world. He got that gift. Think of Pentecost. All these different believers in Jesus being able to speak in foreign languages they had never learned. Think of Abraham getting a faith by which he would go to a foreign land where God didn't even tell him the land. He just said, start going, start traveling. I'll eventually tell you where to stop. And think of Moses, the gift of leadership that God gave to that man. Even though Moses didn't agree, he had been given the gift of leadership. And now one more. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, 
to another faith, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy. I'm not even going to finish it. Do you get the point? God is still giving gifts to his people. He's still giving them, and he loves to give them to his people. Jesus is generous. Jesus, when he died on the cross, gave us the one reason that we can say, I'm going to trust him. Even when I know I can't trust my closest friends on everything, I have to test everything they say. I can't trust my relatives. I can't trust everything they say. I can't trust princes and kings and presidents. But I can trust the king of kings. Because I know what he did. So Daniel and his friends stand before the king. Their face is radiant with wisdom and knowledge which God has gifted to them. Right? Their doubtful expressions initially that they had are now replaced with confidence. They know where their place is now in the kingdom. And the crowd around them murmur in amazement at the gifts that obviously God has given to Daniel and these other Jews, and not to the other peoples from the other nations. And so Daniel and his friends rose to prominence in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and lived happily ever after. Is that how it went down? Daniel and his friends now trusted God because he can continue to give them an easy life? No. Let me see. Let me check the pages of scripture here. Um, fiery furnace lies in their future. Um, a lion's den. A king threatening to kill all of his advisors, including Daniel. Do you see? Whether death or life, whether hardship or ease, as strangers in a strange land, all of us, God is faithful. He will see us home. Amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. Our church services are live-streamed at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and are available afterwards on our channel, St. Mark Lutheran Church Bemidji. If you're listening or watching this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. This is our fourth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarkbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. You can also search for St. Mark Bemidji on YouTube to find our channel. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again, www.stmarkbemidji.org All scripture readings are taken from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 2011, and are used by permission from Zondervan. Meditation's daily devotional is published by Northwestern Publishing House and is also used by permission. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. May God bless the rest of your day.
He, because I could not pay it, gave my full redemption price. Do I need His treasures many? I have one worth more than any. That brought me salvation free, lasting to eternity.